Welcome to the Aptitude Podcast, the place to get positive about discipline so you can make parenting more enjoyable. Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Michael. And this is an exclusive Aptitude Podcast for parents, carers and professionals. On this episode, we explore the difference between praise and encouragement and why rewards aren't as effective as you think. We're going to help you focus on how to offer praise in a meaningful and authentic way and to have courage to parent without using the lure of rewards. What would you think if I said to you that praise isn't always helpful? Hmm... Okay, that's a great way to go into our first question then. Okay, so the first question that we have from Alexis is, I use a lot of praise and I think it's really important for my son's self-esteem. The other day, I read that praise is a bad thing and I can't get my head around that. Can you explain? I love that. Because, um, well, praise isn't all bad, that's for sure. And I think what, what you may have read that suggested that some praise isn't so helpful is that a lot of the praise we use is very conditioned behaviour. So we often use praise in a way that's very vague. So, you know, you might find yourself saying, good boy, good girl, good job, well done, which is, it's obviously positive and it's reinforcing, but a lot of the time it's so vague that the child doesn't know why you're saying it. And the other thing is that it can be very repetitive, So if they hear good girl, good boy, good girl, good boy a lot, it will become meaningless to them, particularly if it is vague and it's not connected to an obvious behaviour. So we might think, you know, the child sat down really nicely and that's why we say good job or good girl. And they might be thinking, oh, well, mummy just said that because I, you know, I, I didn't drop my spoon on the floor. Or, you know, any number of situations where there can be a misunderstanding if we're vague and if we're repetitive. The other thing, um, if we use praise in a way that is effusive, so, and it's tempting, isn't it, to, to exaggerate. You know, your child might show you something and you'll be like, oh, wow, that's just the most amazing thing ever. You're just so incredible. And, and you know, ch- children will kind of feel that that might not be true. Because they they have a good sense of them of their own like their own abilities, and so when we're really effusive, we actually kind of open up the little possibility of mistrust. We have to be really careful that we're being sincere, in other words. And so, a, a lot of our praise, if it's insincere, and if it's effusive, that in time, the child will learn to mistrust all praise. Because they don't know if that can actually rely on us to be genuine with them. So one of the ways I really like to reframe what to do if you feel like you're a bit stuck and that you're repeatedly saying good girl, good boy, is to think of it as gratitude in disguise. So what you're really saying is is that you're appreciative that the child is doing something that that feels agreeable to you. So instead of just saying good girl, good boy, which is very much open to interpretation, could be misunderstood, um, you can be more specific with your gratitude. So you can say, you know, thank you for putting your shoes on. So so what I'm hearing here, Michelle, is um, that 
the kind of praise that is helpful is what we might call observational uh, uh, praise or factual uh, observation. Something along the lines, like you said, about uh, thank you. I noticed you put your, your shoes on yourself and thank you. Or I noticed you cleared the table. That was really helpful. Thank you. Um, so what you're ultimately doing is acknowledging the achievement. And there's nothing in the language that we use when we're giving praise in this way that is about judgment, either a good thing or a bad thing necessarily, but it's simply simply without judgment. So what that encourages and creates is a space for intrinsic learning. The child is learning to do something for its own sake and not because there's necessarily some kind of external reward or some kind of external approval. Which is that thing, I'm, I'm hearing that that's what, what's important here. Yes, absolutely. Because ultimately you want your child to be self-motivated and have good judgment rather than constantly refer to others for what is the right thing to do. We want to encourage children to know what is the right thing to do for themselves. And the thing about praise is that it's often about us as as the parent or as the carer. So it's, you know, and it, we literally start the sentences with I think or, you know, I consider. So it can often be a judgment or an opinion. It's about us, basically. Whereas when you're encouraging or when you're sort of making a factual observation, it's much more about acknowledging the child. So it's it's less about us and it's more about them. And that's why your sentences might start with, you know, you cleared the table or you put on your pyjamas on your own. And I think it's really important to remember, you know, how much are we making it about us and how much are we acknowledging and seeing the child in their own experience? So on that note, here is uh, the next question from Jamila. She says, my parents always told me I was very academic and I lived up to their expectations. I want to motivate my daughter to be a high achiever too, but I don't want her to feel the pressure I did. How can I encourage her without pressurizing her? Mm, I, I love that question because that it reminds me of sort of one of the most transformative moments of my entire life was around this story I had about feeling pressured by my dad. So when I was a teenager, and I was a typical teenager, and getting me out of the house was quite difficult. You know, I wasn't the most punctual of people. And so if my dad was taking me somewhere, he would sit in the car and he would turn the engine on. And for me, who was still finishing getting ready, that was just like, the. it felt like the biggest pressure in the world and I resented him for it and I was angry with him for it and then it was only a few years ago where I was really looking at that situation and and I asked myself where was the pressure really coming from like so there's me in my bedroom getting ready and my dad sat in the car and yet I was blaming him for pressuring me my dad wasn't even in the same building as me my dad was doing absolutely nothing to me. In fact, I realise now, oh my gosh, my dad could have been very happily sat in the car listening to the radio. But I, you know, I created this entire physical, emotional experience for myself because I believed I was under pressure. And that was when I suddenly really saw the truth of how your thoughts create your feeling and your experience in that moment. Yeah, and I think this is a really, really important point you're making here, Michelle, because um, 
the assumption that we as parents can put pressure on our children is, is an erroneous one. Um, our children will have pressurized thinking that will create that feeling of pressure inside them. So that what that this does is really points us back to what kind of environment do we want to create for our children in which they can thrive, in which they can meet their targets, achieve what they want to achieve because they want to, because it comes from an intrinsic place. So it's really back to this, can we encourage, can we show them and ask them questions about where they want to go so they can see things for themselves rather than tell them where they need to be? That's our expectation. That's our ideas as parents, which they may buy into or may not buy into. However, it's still ours. So far better for us to invite them in to think about where they want to go and how they want to get there and to encourage them and to, to help them see where they're already succeeding and how they can succeed even further. So it's something that from inside they feel encouraged, they feel listened to and they find their way towards achieving the results that they want and potentially achieving even more than we did as parents. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I think that brings up a really interesting point about um, process and outcome. And I think as parents, when we focus on outcomes, that's that's often when we're drawn to be offer praise or opinion or judgment. But when we focus on process, when we focus on attitude and effort and all of those things, that's what's perceived to be encouraging for the child. Because, you know... Focusing on outcome is kind of like saying, you know, any means to the end, no matter how you do it, as long as you get the result. But actually, how we enjoy the experience, how we enjoy the process of what we're doing, that's that's more valuable because that's where we learn about what we're doing and about ourselves. And there's really interesting research around praising children for intelligence, for example. So it's easy to think that if you tell your child you're so clever you know you're so bright you're the smartest boy in the class and if we if we really reinforce the idea in the child that we judge them to be intelligent on the surface that looks like a good thing right that looks like we're saying you're smart and the child's going to go brilliant I'm smart I'm going to live up to your expectation the problem with that is is that research shows that children who are praised for intelligence see their intelligence as something fixed. It's like they see it as they're born with that amount of intelligence. That's never going to change. So a child who's praised for their intelligence and does well in a test, brilliant, happy days. But the next time they come to do a test, maybe it's a little bit harder. Maybe there's some questions they don't know. And all of a sudden they're thinking, oh, you know, my intelligence is not going to get me the outcome I'm supposed to get. That's really scary. So that child will start to avoid situations where their intelligence is tested. Mm. Those children are going to stop pushing themselves to learn outside of their comfort zone. On the flip side, when you praise children for effort, they see effort as variable. So if they don't do so well in a test, they know that next time they can put in more effort. They can study a bit more. Effort is variable. Mm. So those children, they're, they're, they're happier to push themselves. In fact, children who are encouraged will aim to a sort of a level a little bit above their ability. So those children are definitely pushing themselves. 
So acknowledging effort is encouraging and it's more likely to motivate the child to challenge themselves. Yeah, and I think a a very kind of good general rule of thumb is that we don't give feedback to our children on who they are. You are so clever that defining them as as this kind of person or whatever. We we give them feedback on what they do in terms of the behaviours. So that's a much more useful, quantifiable thing. They can make, as Michelle said, they can make a difference. They can see it and do something differently. Whereas who they are is very hard to change if they're seen as being very clever or otherwise. So keep focusing on their behaviours, what they're doing, and offer them opportunities to change that. Mm. I really like that because that reminds me of how, um, you know, if you say to a child, oh, you're, you know, you're a noisy boy or you're a clumsy girl, rather than saying, oh, you know, that was a clumsy thing to do or that was a noisy thing to do. So it's separating the identity of the child from the action of the child because those two things are vastly different. So we have a a statement here now from uh, a woman called Annie, a mother called Annie, and she says, my son loves his marble jar and gets really excited to get his marbles at the end of the week if he's been good, if he's been good. Okay, this is an interesting one because, you know, we don't want to sound like the marble jar police and say that that's not a great thing to do, especially as you're saying that your son, son feels really excited, which is great. But I, you know, I'm really wondering, um, what is the message? So when we tell children, you know, you will get a reward for being good, the message is basically, I don't trust you to be good without the reward. So, you know, it, it means that we're forgetting that children are innately enthusiastic, innately curious, they're primed to learn, you know, and children will do well when they feel good so and of course they're not going to feel good all of the time so you know if they misbehave that always comes from an innocent place anyway so if we remember all of those things then you know know, like sort of intervening and trying to ensure a particular type of behavior consistently all week long you know that that's a really big ask for a young child and the message is i don't trust you to do it without the reward and the feeling that the child experiences is one of a fear it's or pressure that's the experience of the child and that's not the place in which they will learn things and they feel motivated to learn things so when the child feels happy to do the thing in and of itself just then they, they, they motivate themselves, they challenge themselves. So contentment motivates achievement, not rewards. Rewards do not motivate achievement, ultimately. It's the feeling that we have when we're doing something that will take us for, forward to the next thing and, and to develop that. And, and research also shows that, you know, this is not just about children, that this, is, this covers all ages, all genders, and, and the fact is that rewards work short-term. They will motivate people to to get their reward short term. But in the medium to long term, what you're effectively doing is sort of training or conditioning the person to be so focused on the reward that they no longer particularly care or enjoy the task. So you're teaching your child, how can I get what I want 
in the easiest and quickest way. And the interest in the task itself becomes diminished. Yeah. And also, you, you know, we set ourselves up as parents for more work because it's, it then becomes up to us to keep providing the motivator rather than the child themselves deciding for themselves that this is something they want to do and will do it. How much easier would it be for us to know that that's what's going to happen? You know that's, that will happen because the child wants to do it. And you don't have to be there with a stick, if you like, metaphorically speaking, of course, with a stick to get them to do something or a carrot. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it just makes life easier for us ultimately uh, as well. Yeah. And in the long run, you obviously the, the aim is for the child to be intrinsically motivated to do well because it comes from a place of contentment because the child recognizes this is something I enjoy doing. I'm going to do more of this. And that means they're working from their own personal authority, which is which is the most trustworthy place they have in them. And our last question from Simon says, without rewards or punishment, how else will my child learn what's socially acceptable? Surely it's my job to teach him that he can't get away with bad behaviour. Taking away his privilege, privileges teaches him that. Well, that, that's a really interesting question because children are innately social. You know, there's a lot of talk about children needing to be socialised or, or socialisation from an early age. But, you know, from the moment we are born, we look to make social connection with our caregivers so if we remember that we're innately social and we learn best by modeling you know there's that great quote that says children learn in three ways by imitation imitation and imitation so how you know what is socially acceptable well as parents or carers we're the ones who model that so in in response to the idea of taking away privileges um generally you know, I mean that that falls into the category of punishment especially if the child hasn't been forewarned that that is going to happen and so the child's not going to reflect on the fact that you know their behavior could have been better or should have been better and you know that forgets as well that all behavior comes from a place of innocence and so the child who then you know without warning potentially has privileges taken from them that child is not focusing on, oh, I, I, you know, I should have behaved better, I, I will next time. They are focusing instead on their feelings in the moment in response to what might feel like something unfair and unjust. So they may well be having feelings of resentment, anger, frustration or powerlessness. And when a child feels like that, then they are not open to learning anything. And I think that's such a key point, you know, like what opportunities are we offering our children to learn? I think um, one of the things that I'm hearing here is, you know, and I'm imagining parents asking this is um, if a child does behave badly, so, you know, surely there have got to be some consequences. So I mean, what would you say to that, Michelle? Well, I think if, you know, badly is going to look different from person to person. But if your child does behave badly, remembering that that's a symptom of something else and it's not personal it's not deliberately done to annoy you and that symptom is generally always the same thing underneath which is a call for connection 
Your child just wants to feel connected. Ironically, your child is looking to be social with you because that's what connection is. It's being social. And so, you know, children who on the surface look like they need punishment more because they act out more, these are kids who just need more connection. And so, you know, if you continually punish a child, then the child believes that it's punishable and will act accordingly. And that that reminds us, you know, how we see the child determines how we enjoy them. And so, you know, I, I guess this happens to every family. It's happened to me. And, you, you know, maybe your child's behaved in a way that you really didn't like and your child, re- you know, feels your upset or disappointment or your anger and then because they're not feeling good they obviously then start to act out a little bit more because they need connection but because we're seeing them negatively you know we don't want to offer the connection that they need and you kind of just get into this downward spiral like a vicious circle of of unhappiness and and in that place family life can feel really tense and not fun and so you know, one of the ways to kind of work your way up and out of that spiral is to just keep acknowledging, you know, the behaviour which feels positive, where there it does seem to be a good feeling. And, you know, and that, that might feel like that's only happening a tiny percentage of the time, but when it happens, you know, give some energy to that, notice that, because the more we focus on what we perceive to be the bad behaviour, the more thoughts we have about that, the more we kind of pull ourselves down and and the the child will be spiralling down alongside us because there won't be that good feeling that children need to behave well. And it's in that good feeling that the child is more likely to feel connected. So all behaviour is a call for connection. Yeah, and and again, it's... it's, it's pointing us back to why our mood matters as well. You know, trying to punish a child or trying to get him to change their behavior from our own place of not feeling good in a low mood, in an angry mood, isn't going to be helpful in the, in the least. So we we owe it to ourselves. We, we must take responsibility to just step back and know that something has to change. We can know that something has to change in the child. They have to learn. They want to. Le- they need to learn something different. But we can't do it from that place of bad feeling. So the thing to do is to wait till both the child and yourself are in a good place, in a good feeling, and then revisit what happened. And the chances are you'll both be seeing it differently, and there's an opportunity to, to, to learn from that. That's where the learning is likely to happen. Yeah, when you feel connected. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to an exclusive Aptitude podcast. Be sure to tell your friends about our Aptitude and Happily memberships and we'd love you to catch our next episode so you can discover why toddlerhood is the most violent time of life and how to meet aggression with kindness. <laughs>